tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right, I'm here today with Stephanie Stegman. Say hello to our listeners. Hello. Thank you for being on the show. You are an OT practitioner. My understanding is that one of your main areas of practice right now is primary care. That is correct. Yes. Um, so we did an interview with Dr. Sherry Muir about OT's role in primary care and got a lot of feedback about interest in this area of OT. And it's kind of an emerging area of practice. Uh, so we thought it'd be great to have a practitioner's perspective. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, you know, I think it's really fitting that you had Sherry on and you've kind of garnered this attention in OT and primary care because I can credit her with starting my interest in primary care and kind of being my mentor throughout this process. That's awesome. And I guess to kind of touch on that, can you tell us a little bit about your career path and what led you to primary care? Absolutely. So when I first graduated, I started out at Barnes Jewish Hospital um, in acute care. And it's funny how we never end up where we think we're going to be. I thought that might be, you know, a few years and try something different. And I absolutely fell in love with acute care. Um, I stayed at the hospital for nine years. And at the same time, also wanted some experience in different settings, but didn't want to leave acute care. Um, so I started working PRN on the weekends as contract in nursing homes and inpatient rehabs just to kind of garner some additional experience. And then I also partnered with Rebuilding Together St. Louis, who's a fantastic organization that does free home modifications for those that don't have the financial or physical capabilities. So I was doing home safety assessments for them. Uh, so I had this really wide variety of practice, even though I was still kind of in my main place. And when Sherry Muir first started coming out and talking about OT and primary care, it just really triggered me because it was so similar to acute care as far as being fast paced and never knowing what you were going to walk into and kind of what it was going to look like. Yet, it was on the flip side. So acute care, we're reactive. We're treating them after they've already been in the hospital. But in primary care, it was this wonderful idea of being preventative and being on the front end before people experience some of these injuries. Um, so everything I loved about acute care in a different setting. Uh, so I was afforded this wonderful opportunity by Washington University to come over. Uh, so I left Barnes and... Uh, hired here at WashU with the focus on primary care. So what it looks like now is two days a week, I'm in a primary care physician clinic, two different clinics. And then the other three days a week, I do outpatient services out in the community. So instead of people coming in for visits in the clinic, I'm going to see them in their environment, whether that's home or wherever they're performing their occupations. That's awesome. Thank you for summarizing um, kind of what you do and what led you there. That was a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. A couple things really stuck out to me with that. And you touched on them being primary care's role and more of a preventative type of care model, but also not knowing what you're going to get any given day, seeing any given uh, person. So I wanted to ask, why do you think OT fits well in a primary care setting? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I feel like we are such a natural fit as far as looking at someone holistically. 
So typically when somebody's coming into a primary care clinic, it's either just for a general physical or wellness visit or for a specific issue or impairment. And it's really nice to have our perspective where we come in and we say, but you're a whole person and it's more than just this one impairment that you're having and how are things really going? And so looking at kind of the bigger picture of the underlying reasons why people might be having some impairments. And you mentioned your partnership with Washington University Program in Occupational Therapy. How did you kind of enter primary care? Was there, did you have to advocate to to start working in these primary care clinics um, or how did that partnership really develop? Yeah, so that's kind of the golden question in an emerging practice area and especially with primary care and what Sherry talks so eloquently about is how do you get started? How do you kind of break in? Because there's not necessarily this model or this pathway, right? So when you go to graduate, you know that there's OT jobs available in rehab and SNF and home health. And wouldn't it be amazing if at a certain point there was just OT jobs anywhere in every primary care clinic? Um, but we have to kind of break up the traditional healthcare model as it currently stands and really move towards a multidisciplinary approach to healthcare. Um, so I faltered a little bit, right? Because they came over and they said, all right, we want to do OT and primary care. And it's like, make that happen. <laughs> and so how do, how do you go about doing that? And so talking with Sherry and talking with other people that she connected me with as far as um, what they had done and approaches that they had taken. And so it was kind of reaching out and being able to find a physician that would be an advocate and be on board and be willing to be innovative and try something. So when I first started out, when I say I faltered, it was I went to um, a medicine clinic and there wasn't necessarily a specific physician and I was meeting with the office managers and it just seemed like a very innovative concept with, you know, they tend to have this feeling, of, oh, we just have a lot going on that just sounds like more work or things like that, no matter how you try and explain it. Um, but Dr. Baum, Dr. Carolyn Baum and uh, Dr. Pat Nellis did an amazing job of connecting me with a physician who they had been speaking with and kind of connecting with in other areas. And we all sat down for a meeting together and he was on board and he was like, I think that sounds like a really innovative idea and I think that could help us and what's the harm in trialing it. Um, so wrote out a plan, figured out kind of what it would look like. Him and I worked together as far as, you know, what's the space in the clinic and what are the days and what are the patients that you're going to focus on and um, kind of trying to get that piece of it established. That's awesome. It sounds like it was very collaborative and you worked with other people to find that connection and really find your place and find your care. It takes a village for us to all kind of move forward with innovative ideas. Very well said. One of the focuses of your work in primary care is preventing readmissions and hospitalizations. Uh, why did you choose to focus on that specifically? Yeah, so I think bringing that experience from acute care, that was one of the main focus. That's one of our main roles as occupational therapists in acute is saying, okay, somebody's come into the hospital. What are all of their needs that we can assess? How do we connect them with community resources? And how do we prevent them from coming back into the hospital? So having that depth of experience really gave me a focus on, okay, OT has this really important role in preventing readmissions. And if I'm looking at it from primary care, how do we then, how do we collaborate between the hospital and these community physicians to work together and partner to keep people out of the hospital? And what does OT's role 
in that preventative model look like in a primary care clinic? And so that was part of it that that was really my my goal, my kind of area and focus. And the other piece of it was in order to convince kind of the physician and the clinic groups that this was going to be worthwhile. It wasn't just, oh, I think you need an OT in your clinic, but you need an OT in your clinic and here's how we think we can help. So by identifying people's fall risk, by flagging things early, we can help your outcomes as a primary care physician. Um, so kind of like a win-win as a cell. And that is definitely my area of experience. So playing to your strengths there. Yes. <laughs> and when we spoke prior to this interview, you shared what I like to call kind of a three-pronged approach to preventing hospital readmissions. Um, so that includes primary care, occupational therapy, community partner involvement, and outpatient services. Um, so I wanted to talk about what each of these prongs kind of looks like and how they all work together to prevent rehospitalization. Absolutely. So to start off with primary care, what does a typical day in primary care for an occupational therapy practitioner look like? So I think if we were going to talk about it in general, it could look like whatever you're going to make it um, for however you set it up, however you kind of make your focus. Um, for me, since I'm looking at preventing decline and preventing admissions into the hospital or readmissions, uh, we are focusing on a group of clients that are more senior and they're also part of an accountable care organization, which commonly referred to as the ACO. Uh, so essentially what that is, is these organizations sign up with a group of patients and they say, we're going to be responsible for managing their care and we're going to have a multidisciplinary approach to managing their care and we're going to do highly innovative things in order to make that happen and have better outcomes. So it was kind of a group that's primed already for trialing things and being innovative. So focusing on the ACO patients who are seniors, um, what my day looks like is I start out in the morning in clinic and I have a report. So that report runs every physician's schedule for the day. So whether it's all 20 physicians in clinic and it pulls out which of their patients meet that criteria for being in the ACO and being um, above a certain kind of age group. And then I message each physician individually. So this was the key piece of it is like, how do you communicate when you're in a multi-physician clinic and they're running from room to room and they're never in their office and how do you, you know, the timing of it all. So it took a long time, but I was able to get a secure messaging chat between the physicians and myself through the medical record. So in the morning when I get there, I run this report and then I'll message each physician individually to say, hey, here's your patients for the day that could be appropriate. Let me know what you think if there's anybody that's priority or, you know, would need to be seen. And so they message back and that kind of goes back and forth through the day. So that's first thing in the morning and that's a tentative schedule. But as we know, schedules never stick. And yeah. <laughs> some physicians are running behind, some are running ahead, some patients don't show up, patients show up late. Um, so I am basically working off my laptop and the secure messaging system and bouncing in the office from room to room to room. And sometimes I'll be going in before the physician if they're running behind and sometimes I'll be going in after them. I might need to pull the patient out of the room into a separate room so that they can keep flipping the patients on the schedule if I think somebody's going to take longer. So it's, it's really just kind of however it works in that clinic. And I'm in two different clinics and they run a little differently. So the other one I have, 
a set office space and it's a little calmer because there's not quite as many physicians in the group and they'll just walk down to the office and say, okay, I just saw this person and here's what I think and I think they would benefit from you. So it's kind of, you have to kind of fit into whatever flow the office kind of has already established. Yeah, that sounds great. And it it sounds very interesting and it, it touches back to what you mentioned earlier on how Every day is going to be a different experience. Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of screenings and interventions do you use? Yeah, so in trying, this is the hard part, right? So you come in and you only have this few minutes with the people and you might not have ever interacted with them before. So how do you build enough of a rapport and get all of this information? So I try and hit key components. So doing a fall risk assessment, doing a balance assessment, a cognitive assessment, asking about vision, asking about sleep, doing like a global health assessment, which is their self-perceptions of their mental health and physical health. And um, so I might not get everything done with everybody. And if I know something from the physician, I'm like, oh, they've had multiple falls this week or something that's going to trigger me to do certain screenings over others. And so in the moment, I just kind of decide which ones are appropriate and kind of where the session leads me to go. Awesome. And I guess after that screening, how, where do you tie occupation into your intervention or the time that you spend with these, uh, with these patients? Yeah. And so sometimes what we're really good at is asking some of those non-obvious questions to kind of get to the meat of the occupation. So, you know, is a general screening question might be, have you noticed any changes in your vision? And, you know, they might say, oh, I just need some updated glasses or things like this. But the follow-up question to that is, how is the vision impacting your ability to do the things that you need to do during the day? Is there anything that you're not able to do or able to do as well anymore because of these changes in your vision? So it's kind of tying it back and then they're like, oh, okay, so that's what you're getting at, um, which kind of ties it together a little nicely. Yeah, I think that's that's where occupational therapy's value is. Yes. Um, is taking those typical screener questions and getting at why they're really being asked, how they affect someone's day-to-day life. And uh, maybe you can weigh in on this, but I would assume that that really helps the patient feel more listened to, more heard, make them feel like they're bought in more to, to their health. Uh, have you seen that in in your practice? Yeah, and I think what's been interesting is when I can get so much more information about the situation or what's really going on with the client just from spending those few minutes and I'll come out and kind of give a rundown with the doctor, send him a message and they're like, we had no idea. <laughs> like that didn't even come up or they didn't tell me, but sometimes people feel the pressure of the rush in the scenario in a clinic, right? And so they're not just going to like automatically divvy up all this information of what's going on in their life or things that may or may not be bothering them or things that have changed if they're just there for a quick wellness check or a physical. Um, and so it's kind of pulling out some of that information, which actually has a huge impact on their life. Like a great example is um, a well woman came in, right? So she didn't have really any massive issues going on or why she was there. It was just kind of a regular checkup and having, you know, just chronic pain and trouble sleeping and, you know, and so digging down and getting into some of those questions and what ends up coming out is there's this whole traumatic family issue that's actually going on at home. And so being able to bring that back to the physician and say, there's whole underlying mental health things that are going on and happening that are 
like presenting for her physically as pain and trouble sleeping, but it's these underlying issues. And so being able to get her connected with the correct resources um, that might not have otherwise happened. That's an excellent example of really how a OT practitioner can can impact primary care um, and healthcare in general. So thank you for sharing that. And I guess to kind of tie up the the process of your work in primary care, how long are you usually seeing a patient for and what are your next steps? Do you give them a referral? What does follow-up look like? Yeah, so the amount of time kind of depends on the schedule and kind of how things are rushing with physicians in between people. So some people, if they answer quickly and can kind of get through stuff, I might we might run through something in five minutes, which would be on the low end. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get in there and you're going one direction and it goes a completely different direction or you ask a few screener questions and there's a whole story for every question that you're asking and it takes a different turn. And if people need intervention, like right there in the moment, I need to provide you some education and try and at least have you leaving here with some things that you know to start with doing and some connections. Um, I mean, that can be a 20-minute session. And so, you know, you don't necessarily know how long you're going to take once you're in there, but it kind of morphs. Um, and as far as connections after that, I think that's one of the, the key pieces is we know all of the resources that are out there. So we're so good at connecting people to, you know, occupational therapists in the community that are specialists in things or physical therapists or the speech group or um, a nonprofit group or just anything. We can connect people with that. And so providing that education information. And if we feel like somebody needs an actual therapy referral, it's, do you have a preferred provider? You know, if not, we'll have the physician put in the order. Here's a list of providers that you could contact. Here's kind of what their specialties are and make sure that we establish those connections. Um, I think a good example to talk about is when um, an older woman came in and had symptoms of a concussion. So she had been in a car accident, uh, couldn't concentrate. She almost canceled her appointment, called and canceled because she was having such a hard time not wanting to even be able to leave the house. Uh, It was just overwhelming symptoms of headache and fatigue and all these things that were bothering her, noise and sound. Um, She came into clinic. That was a perfect one for me to go in screening, did the full concussion assessment and said, you really need services right away. And so I was able to call uh, an occupational therapist that specializes in concussion treatment and say, I have somebody that needs urgent services. And she was able to get a next day appointment, which is rare, right? So normally a referral process can take several weeks. Um, And then before she left saying, okay, so here's some things I want you to do before your appointment tomorrow. So here's how to address some of the symptoms. Here's some things I want you to kind of track and write down to be able to tell the OT when you go to your appointment. And the OT followed back and said, you know, that was perfect because so many times I'm not getting people with acute symptoms. I'm getting them weeks after the fact because they might go into the doctor. They say, oh, try this or this, and then come back in two weeks if it's not resolved. And so there's this huge delay in the transition of care. And she was like, it was amazing to get somebody that was freshly acute and who needed the services where we could have this massive impact in their recovery. Um, So I think that's also a nice example of what OT kind of being embedded in the clinic can do and make those connections for people. Um, Absolutely. The, The earlier you can find out what is impacting someone's health, the quicker they can improve those 
health outcomes. Exactly. Um, so that's a that's a great example. Thank you. Anything else you want to touch on with primary care before we dive into prong number two? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So what does your work as a community partner and you're a member on three different hospital readmission prevention committees. Um, so what, what does that all look like? Yeah, so it, what's nice about the area here is that my experience at Barnes-Jewish Hospital and then being here at Washington University Occupational Therapy, it's their partners in care, and we work very closely together. And so it was this nice transition to say, I'm no longer in the hospital, but now I'm a provider out in the community. and from my experience of working in the hospital, I know what you guys need, right? There's gaps in care in the community. And when you guys go to discharge people, you're kind of at the mercy of the services out in the community to keep people well. And so I can be a partner on some of these projects that you're trying to do to prevent readmissions to say, here's how, as a community provider, we can help assist. Um, So an example of that is looking at the gap in care. So when somebody is discharged from the hospital, they can go to rehab, they can go to skilled nursing, all that set up before they leave, right? And they get transported right to the facility. And then oftentimes they'll recommend home health and that order is placed and set up before the person discharges from the hospital. Now, if somebody gets a referral to outpatient, they are not getting that referral put in before they're leaving the hospital. So there's this entire gap of people who are leaving with a script or just a recommendation to say follow up with outpatient, but that connection is not being made when they discharge from the hospital. And so you know what it's like to have this hospitalization and all this information and all these recommendations. And by the time you get home, you know, you just have this packet of paper and going back to it and you're trying to catch up on life and mail and there's this whole delay in connection, right? But most readmissions happen within the first week of discharge if they're going to come back. And so providing those connections earlier. So one of the things I'm working on with these committees at the hospital is saying, how can we get referrals to outpatient put in before they discharge? How can we close that gap of services? So just like they're put in for every other area, this is just as critical. That's all, that's all totally new to me and sounds like a really valuable area of of work um, that can really impact readmissions and can impact people's health and and well-being. It takes a community, right? So there's all of these providers. You have OTs and rehabs and skilled nursing and home health and in the hospital and in the community. And we really need to be working all together. And so that's another thing that came out of these readmission prevention committees is I'm in this committee as a community partner from outpatient, but there's also home health that's there. And so what we've done is we've partnered and said, we should be working very closely together and finishing out a continuum of care for clients. So when somebody finishes with home health, how often are they being then referred on to outpatient? So we also need that relationship between home health and outpatient. And so we have done this partnership where we've created a joint presentation where we go together to different organizations to say, here's who's appropriate for home health, here's who's appropriate for outpatient, here's the different services that we provide, and then when home health is done, then referring on to outpatient, or if we get somebody in outpatient and we're like, you know, we could probably start with home health, 
kicking them back to home health and getting the person at the right continuum of care at the right time. Yeah, that sounds so valuable and important. And I'm sure there's so many OTs out there who want to be doing that same thing to help reduce these gaps within the healthcare continuum. But you've actually done it. So what, what would you say to them? How would you recommend they get started and begin to develop those type of partnerships? I think you just have to be really open to reaching out to people. And what I've come to find is there, there's this tension, this underlying, are you a competitor? Are you not? You know, we, do we need the referrals? And you just have to clear all of that out and say, we're all here for the patient. If you get the referral and that's where the patient should be, then that's absolutely the right service that they should be receiving, even if it's not ours. And so it's it's aligning a shared vision of exceptional patient care and preventing readmissions, and we all have to work together in this. Um, and so I feel like one of my strengths is trying to partner and advocate with even other community OTs to say, this is the right service that where they should be at. Even though we're both outpatient OT, they should really be with you or that sort of thing. Um, and they do the same thing. So they get a referral and they'll say, you know what, this person should really be with you. And so just establishing those connections that we all have to work together in this if we want to really change healthcare. That's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing your experience and knowledge in that. Um, I guess let's go ahead and talk about prong number three. How does your work providing outpatient occupational therapy in homes and the community fit into your overall goals? Yeah, so I love this about Washington University occupational therapy. This is, I'm excited to come to work and say this is part of my job because I feel like it's so innovative and just gets at the base of OT, like kind of every where we came from, right, is so we're providing outpatient services in the home or community. And so some people are like, oh, you're home health, but we're not, right? So home health is different than outpatient, but outpatient can provide the services anywhere. So we're still billing under Medicare Part B or private insurance as outpatient. It, the billing is no different than if the person was coming into clinic. We're just providing the services where they're happening, like in the context of somebody's environment. So whether that's the home or their job or their adult daycare center, right, where I've taken people to their pharmacy or the grocery store. <laughs> um, and so there's also, you know, so that's kind of the one piece of it is that we're providing services in the context of where they should be happening. But then the other piece of it is there's a whole group, especially seniors that are at high risk who can't make it into appointments. Part of their issues are self-management or cognition or they don't have transportation or the family is taxed and trying to work and they can't take off work to get people into a clinic during the day. And so it's really reaching people that would not necessarily have ever received services, but they do and they're willing because you're coming. To them. That's awesome. And it sounds like what you mentioned earlier with uh, you're working with an ACO um I think a lot of healthcare is starting to shift that way and more towards a community-based model. So it's great to hear and see how occupational therapy can fit into that model in so many ways um, and really be beneficial to, to the population's health. Yes. So I want to ask you um, about some action steps now, some things you might recommend to practitioners in, in whatever field they may be. Um, but how would you say your goals and approaches could be implemented by other practitioners to benefit their clients? Yeah, 
So I would say kind of two key things. One we've already touched on is connecting with other practitioners. So make therapy friends and all the other continuums of care so that you have a good understanding, you have connections, you have those personal resources, um, even with community partners that aren't therapy to say, what services do you provide so that you have a really good understanding of where to refer and what's available for your, your patients. And then the other thing that I've really come to find that is kind of this key piece, like the key in the whole aspect of readmissions is OT's role in changing behaviors, routines, and habits. And so, you know, when you talk about chronic disease self-management or why they're getting readmitted or health behaviors, one of the key pieces that I think any practitioner should really focus on implementing is how do you change behavior in a client or change their habits and get them to want to change that, right? So one of the geriatric physicians I work with, she had this amazing statement where she said, people have a right to make poor healthcare choices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have a right to live their life how they want. She's like, you know, the concern is when they don't have capacity and then they're making those poor choices and putting themselves at risk. But So if you have these people who are choosing these poor life choices, what is our role in that as far as helping them change in order to have better health outcomes? It's a great focus and I would say a very specialized expertise of occupational therapists is working with those habits, routines, roles, and behaviors. Yes, that's such a perfect and unique fit for us to say, yeah, we can prescribe an exercise program or you can tell them to follow this heart healthy diet or do these things but they need the actual skills to implement it and change the behavior and that is an entire process of intervention to work through right it's it's not just the patient receiving the information it's how they're processing it and then putting that into action so can you share with us a clinical example of how your work has led to an improved or impactful health outcome Yeah, I think it's so important to kind of be in the context of these people's environment. And that has made all of the difference in so many different patient scenarios. So had a patient who was, you know, walking, talking, still working part time, so doesn't qualify for any other services, just outpatient. Um, but was having some mild cognitive impairment and the physician's like, you know, go ahead and send your referral, like send you out there, see what's going on. And you walk into the house and it's a complete hoarder situation. And he has over a hundred bottles of medications and most of them are expired or no longer taking. He had mice in the kitchen and just rotting food all over the place. And so you would have never known, right? So he shows up for his shifts at work and he seems completely functional. But then when you get down to it, there's all these underlying impairments. And so being able to get in there, communicate that back to the medical team, connect him with services that he needed, work on that, right? So that makes a huge difference in people's outcomes. Absolutely. And that's just another illustration of how OT can help the whole entire healthcare team kind of dive deeper into you know, what someone's actually doing on a daily basis and how that impacts their health. Yeah, it takes all of us. Um, Even just the difference in a patient coming into their clinic and the physician's office and saying, okay, here's my medications, or yes, I take them. But then you actually get out there and you do a whole medication assessment and say, okay, now 
fill out the pill organizer as you would fill it, or let me check the pill organizer that you've already filled out. And, you know, they have twice as much blood pressure medication that they're supposed to be taking. And, you know, or they're not taking their thyroid medication separately from the other medication. So it's not even working. So their lab results come back low and the doctor's increasing medication, but it's really, they're just not taking it appropriately. And, you know, so just getting in there can make such an impact as far as saying, Let's actually perform the task and see what you're doing. And where can listeners find more information on your work and some of what we've discussed today? Yeah, so I will refer them to the Washington University Occupational Therapy website. It is otservices.wustl, which is W-U-S-T-L dot E-D-U. And we have information about all of our different specialties and services and how to get connected with us. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure that link is posted in the episode description um, as well for our listeners. Are there additional resources that you'd recommend to listeners who want to learn more uh, about this? So I would say I reach out everywhere I can. So I'm in Facebook groups that are OT and primary care that Dr. Muir started or just general, you know, the OT for OT and OT for Facebook groups that AOTA has going. Um, AOTA listservs, just connecting with other people. So the more that you can kind of reach out, it's amazing to hear what other people around the country are doing and get connected with them. I like to end every episode with what we call the golden nugget segment. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, Stephanie, if you could tell practitioners to do one thing, what would it be? If I would tell them one thing... And I'll say this maybe from a different perspective. So not necessarily in practice, but for themselves, because I feel like I struggled changing career paths. So I guess my golden nugget would be that imposter syndrome is real. (laughs) Feeling this sort of lack of confidence or did I make the right move? Am I in the right place? Can I do this? Um, And just reaching out and finding people that will be your mentors, be your cheerleaders, get behind you and help you realize that you can do these things and you are capable and you do have the skills. I think it was hard for me coming from full-time clinical care in a hospital and then coming to WashU and saying, okay, so you're going to create this program and now I'm surrounded by academia versus clinicians and just feeling that, do I fit in? Can I do this? Do I have, you know, and so that took a little while for me to kind of move past and I completely credit all of my therapy friends and mentors and as far as gaining that confidence. And so just don't be afraid to talk about how you're feeling or if you're capable and reach out and get those supports you need because amazing things can actually come and you are capable and you can do it and make these things happen. You just sometimes need a little support. Absolutely. We all do. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, This has been a great interview. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. You should go and change it. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. I'm on vacation every single day, every single day. I'm on vacation every single day. I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day. Every-
single day Everybody sour like a lemon tree I'm just smiling down upon my enemies Do the shit and love it on a daily Say you hate your job but you'll never leave Never leave but that it wasn't easy But right now I'm living breezy Build this engine from the ground up Now my hands they ain't so greasy Feel me? So thankful for everything Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me I work, it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me Close my eyes, sometimes I feel as if I blow away I love the life, I live and enjoy the ride along the way I'll make a living out of living, yeah that's what I say I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation Every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation Should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it.